Hi, my name is Andy Dan, the founder and CEO of Capital A, and welcome to M&A Q&A. Today we have Anton Jurgis, MD of Collider. Anton has been in the experiential agency and events industry for 30 years, starting out in business development and trade shows before founding his first agency in 1997. He then moved on to his second agency, We Are Collider, in 2003, which experienced explosive growth and then went on to acquire several smaller agencies into their newly founded integrated agency. This should be a simple story of success, but today we have a real roller coaster weaving through our acquisitions. In 2015, We Are Collider was rocked when they found a major fraud in the business, committed by the head of accounts, who then skipped the country. Not only did Anton and We Are Collider survive this massive shock, but continue to make more acquisitions. However, we're not over yet. We Are Collider was then made an offer to join an even bigger international agency before COVID came along and scuppered the deal. During COVID, the company had to downsize and restructure, while the live communications industry went into freefall. Anton made the difficult decision of closing the business down. Today, we have a story of survival. Anton relaunched We Are Collider at the start of 2021 and is now enjoying explosive growth yet again. I'm really excited to have Anton Georges on the show today. We'll be discussing M&A and all the lessons learned from restructuring his agency business. Anton, welcome. How are you doing? Hi, Andy. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. A bit exhausted. That was a bit of a long-winded one. <laughs> it was. It was a lot more exhausting living through it, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. That's great. So we're going to kick off today with a quick background check on you, yeah. Anton. So we do this every week with our guests. We just want to dig into where you got into the, the industry, basically. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into live communications and how you started out? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't planned. I can safely say that. I had graduated with a qualification in, in, in business studies and European marketing. And I also it, it had a, a separate languages module in which I, I specialized in French and Spanish. That was sort of late 80s, early 90s. And, and there was something of a, a recession at that time. It was difficult actually finding work. And then bizarrely, I was invited to be an usher at a friend's wedding. And the best man was the sales director of a design agency, very much in the uh, in, in the live space, particularly around international trade shows. And they were looking for a French speaker. We met, we talked, we got on. He asked me to go in for an interview, um, which I did. Went for a second interview, a live sort of scenario in Geneva, where I had a meeting with him and the uh, International Telecommunications Union. That all went well, and I came back, and they offered me the job. And that was it, really. There I was, firmly in um, in, in the live exhibition, uh, live experience space. They took me on in business development, which I really enjoyed. Took to uh, like a duck to water. I was there for about a year before, sadly, I was asked to move on. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't like yeah. I was just thinking, what a gl- glamorous start to, to the it, industry. It, it was a glamorous start. Yeah, it was, it was great. I, I, I wasn't there long, but it was a wonderful way to learn the ropes, so to speak, at, at that business. They, they were a very large, very successful agency at the time, a, a, an international group. And they kind of threw you in at the deep end. And, and if you swam, you did very well. If, if you didn't, then you know, you were out fairly quickly. I, I was one of the fortunate ones and I swam. I, I, as I say, I took to it um, very well and enjoyed it massively. I think people that go into the live arena, into live experiences, they're made of certain stuff. 
they tend to like they tend to be quite competitive they tend to be quite deadline driven quite adrenaline filled and and, and that certainly um was was me at that time I mean, um, it, almost, it almost looks like you got into it by accident but it sounds like it really suited your personality and so you you kind of flew and absolutely yeah yeah i did um unfortunately i didn't get on particularly well with my boss which was why i was asked to leave after a year and then uh yeah i was i was picked up by their biggest well a, an aspiring competitor shall we say who offered me the business development lead and, and i went in there and spent five years there and, and uh, that's where i really sort of fell in love with the industry and and everything about it and as i say i haven't looked back so that's a, it's an interesting start because a lot of people I speak to start from the creative side and then they sort of jump out of being somebody else's creative person into mm. to starting their own thing. And I guess they probably struggle more with the business, but you're kind of just on the other side because most businesses need sales. But you you obviously are good at that because that's what you did for the first six or seven years. And then you went into the agency world. So I should imagine your agency has always been packed to the rafters with with business and um, do. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I, one of the things I'm often heard saying is that the you know one of the significant differences between a bad business and a good business is new business. So you know, there there needs to be a focus on on filling that funnel, on on keeping the pipeline. I think in the second agency that I went into, where I stayed for five years, I was lucky. It was a small business, and I was given a lot of responsibility. So whilst I was in biz dev role, I sort of merged into client services and 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 worked very closely with the two partners of that agency as we plotted a. The growth. I mean, over those five years, we we grew fivefold in terms of revenue. So, and you know, for a small business to grow that quickly, it is kind of all hands to the pump. So, I, I learned an awful lot there, and I'm very grateful for my time there. And so, I guess I got very involved in the commercial side of of running a business from a very early age, which which was good. And you know, I'd, I'd done business studies at at, uh, at college, so you know, I understood a P and L and and all those other boring things that we have to look at. <laughs> Wow, uh, I'm still yet to meet very many agency owners that do understand them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking, of course. Um, so we have a lot of new agency founders that listen to this podcast. You know, they they listen to it for inspiration. I think it's great to sort of discuss the founding of agencies and why you made the jump from you know working, I, I guess, quite safely with these two founders of the business to running your own agency. So, what was that first agency that you founded, and what happened to it? So I'd, I'd been with these other guys for five years, and and if I'm honest, I'd sort of got a sense of of what we could achieve, and I liked the look and sound of it. And I spoke to those, um, the the two owners there about potentially going going in as or coming in and being brought in as an equity partner. Unfortunately, I think what they wanted and what I wanted um, was slightly different, and so I you know it, it 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 wasn't going to work out around about that time i got approached by an entrepreneur that i knew through work um, who ran a, a graphics agency and we'd done a couple of pitches together we'd won the pitches they were quite significant and he saw it was down to him i have to say he saw the benefit of sort of combining the two within an integrated live model and not a lot of agencies certainly about that size and scale were doing that so he actually made my boss an offer to part fund me and to bring something together and, and my boss at the time decided he didn't want to do that so this chap then said well look do you want to do it let's let's go off and we'll start an agency so he that that was the catalyst for me he took he he took me in and we did it there were four of us four founders and uh yeah so that was 97 that business was called kudos 
again, grew very quickly, predominantly off the back of the um, telecom bubble and all the dot-coms. So through the the, the late 90s, we, we attracted, and I think we worked with pretty much every major telco out there, including winning a, a $3.5 million project for um, for AT&T um, out in Geneva, which, you know, back in those days for a small business was a big account. So we did very well. The business grew very, very quickly. And I learned a lot in that time. And I you know, being brutally honest, I think I learned a lot of what not to do and how not to manage growth because it was just sort of mm. not out of control, but it, it wasn't, there wasn't a strategy to it. There wasn't a structure to it. And, you know, you you, you got the tail wagging the dog and that wasn't healthy. Um, just out of interest, what, what was your role? Were you still getting the new biz? You were getting too much in? I, I was biz dev, yeah, there. Um, biz, business development and client servicing, which I guess you know, are my two were my two greatest passions. I mean, they still are to an extent, but uh, yes. Yeah, so it, it was it was a phenomenal experience, and and we did very very well during that period. But after six years, the cracks that had you know been sort of hairline fractures to begin with, they started to to, to grow, and it was clear that the four of us couldn't continue to work together um the md wanted to take it on a different route strategically and to be fair to him i I could see why he was doing that the industry had been hit quite hard 2001 we had um we just won the ba account actually for concord for the relaunch of concord Mm. and and then 9 11 happened so obviously that changed the landscape then you had the dot-com bubble burst changed the landscape again and and a lot of our work was in travel and a lot was in um, telecoms and and and, uh, internet um, as it was back then. So there, there were challenges and he had a certain path he wanted to tread and that wasn't the path that I wanted. I had similarly just got married, had my first child um, on the way. I decided to build a house. So I had quite a lot going on. Um, you seem at, to like big challenges from a from a I, fairly early age. I've recently realised that I am quite goal-orientated, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 the... At that time, I was very, very busy. And I also, I wanted to change my life a bit. I'd been, you know, I was always away, obviously having a, a young family about to, to hit me. I wanted to to be around a bit more. So decided that I would leave. So I exited and uh, started up again. What at the time was meant to be a bit of a lifestyle boutique agency. Um, and that was 2003. And here we are 20 years later, still within that framework of some way, shape or form. Mm, not particularly boutique-y. Um, no. Okay, so you did. You founded Collider straight after. Sorry, we are Collider. You founded We Are Collider straight after um, you left that business. Then, but you were just. Uh, yeah, I mean, sounds like your expectations were fairly low. It was a lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, the 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 exit that we negotiated didn't gross a, a huge amount of cash. Part of the deal was that there were clients that were going to come with me, whatever I did anyway. And so we negotiated that as part of my exit and said, well, look, I, you know, I'm obviously too young to retire. I didn't have enough money either. And I was building a house. So those clients were going to come anyway. And, and we sort of sat down across the table and said, well, look, we, we can either fight it in court. We can spend a lot of money arguing about this and we can just come to a sensible decision. So it had always been my intention to start something. But I did want it to be relatively um, small and boutique. Right. Um, and, you know, give, give me the time. To, to be able to spend a bit of time with my young family, which at that time was quite important. So, yeah, I guess it's your uh, your biz dev skills strike again. I should imagine you ended up within a few months with way too many clients, and you had to uh, you had to start hiring people on. Well, 
Yeah, I mean, we we, we started off with a, a a team of about four or five, and those three clients did come across. I was lucky the market picked up again. I think, um, and and you know, there is a pattern that you see over your your, your life in business in in one industry, and you you come out of a recession, and in our sector. Clients then sort of come out there, they, they land on Mars, they're looking for something a bit different. Some of their existing relationships may not be in place. And so they start to think, well, okay, what do I need? I need something creative. I need something agile. I need something cost effective. We were all three of those. We had good big agency experience. We'd worked on some phenomenal projects, but we were within a, a structure that was um, quite boutique and so you kind of had that big agency strategy and creative, but at a smaller agency's cost. And, and our model was basically based around, you know, we'd sort of grow and, and contract depending on the type of work and, and, and the projects that we got in. So we did win work. And yeah, very quickly, um, <laughs> I wasn't seeing a lot of the family. Um, did did you build the house? Did you finish the house or did you find I, a man? No, I, I, well, I didn't build it myself. Um, I did right. project manage it. And yeah, we did. We're still in it, actually. Some oh wow, amazing. Goodness, uh, Fifteen whatever years later. Um, so yeah, we're still in it. What we wanted, you know, we had the family, the young family coming along. It's like right, okay, let's let's build our, our our dream family home. So that's what we did, and it's still standing. So I must have done something all right. <laughs> that's a great story. Okay, so you're building up. We are Clyder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think you relocated down to to London from where yeah. you were, and then you start to make some acquisitions quite quite quickly. It seems. Take us through that. Take us through your thinking at the time. Why did you feel that you needed to make an acquisition rather than just carry on with organic growth? Because it seems like you could have powered that growth with new clients. Yeah. What what actually happened, Andy, was um, we we set up in Guildford, which I live in Sussex. My creative director lived in, in Surrey and, and Guildford was in between the two of us. And, you know, we both wanted the same things. But as you alluded to earlier, we very quickly got a lot of work in and there was more opportunity out there. And what we found was we were working very, very hard, but actually almost to stand still. We couldn't get we couldn't grow anymore. And we weren't, to be frank, making any more money from working that hard. And that was because being in Surrey, we found it very difficult to attract good young talent. Mm. Um, and so what was happening was my partner and I, we were becoming the bottleneck for any of the to any of the large projects. So, so that was the thinking behind moving to London was we would be able to sort of fish from a bigger pool um, in terms of talent. And the, the initial idea had been that we would then continue on that sort of organic um, growth um, path. So 2012, we opened a small office in in London and we kept the Guildford office running for about six months. And then over time, it became fairly obvious that actually we couldn't, you know, it wasn't, it it didn't make sense to have two so close to one another. So we decided to shut Guildford and and relocate everything to to London, Mm -hmm. Um, which was a very painful experience because the majority of my staff didn't want to move to London. They didn't want to commute. So we were effectively starting you know, over. And it, it was it was tough managing that process. And I distinctly remember coming out of that and sitting there with my uh, my creative director, business partner, and said to him, look, you know, that was hell on earth. I haven't done it to stand still. I don't want to be the same business that we had in Guildford just with higher rent. You know, this has to be part of, of creating something bigger and um, something that gives us as shareholders more. And he agreed, and we decided that the way to sort of write like like the touch paper for that was was through um, strategic M and A. We had positioned ourselves as an integrated agency, 
albeit a relatively small one. But back then, in in uh, in in sort of the early mid two thousands and going into 2010, 2010, it was really only just starting to catch on that clients wanted to buy integrated. Prior to that, they'd been very silo based, and we could see that this was a a sort of trend within the industry and it was one that we wanted to latch on to and, and try and grow off the back of but the challenge that we had was because we were still relatively small we were operating a number of different territories a number of different channels and whilst we could execute in them we didn't specialize in them and so clients you know if, if we were on a, a digital pitch for example we were going toe-to-toe with a digital agency their portfolio would outshine ours their skill set would outshine ours and so we were automatically on the back foot and even though we wanted that within a, a an integrated model, we were still finding that that was a barrier to growth. So the idea was that we would go out and we would acquire smaller agencies that gave us specialist and key air, specialisms in key areas so that we could then go, you know, if there was a brief that majored on social, for example, or majored on digital, we had enough of a portfolio and enough skill set to convince the client that we could have that as an integral part of any campaign that we were working on. So that was the... The, the thinking behind it. And the other reason was our our work was still quite lumpy. It was very project driven. And so we would not quite feast or famine, but you know, you could have a great three months and then it would go very quiet for three months. And you know, that it, it was okay, but we we I felt that if we could find a way to sort of even that out and create more retained income so that those peaks and troughs, the troughs were you know, far shallower and the peaks were far higher, then obviously that would make us a, a bigger, more profitable, more lucrative business. Um, so, What verticals were you working in at the time? Because I seem to remember you were working with maybe some oil companies and some entertainment stuff, and I think you're doing yeah. gaming and esports stuff now. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that is now. Back then in, in 2012, we were doing quite a lot in, in property, actually, in commercial property. So we worked with land securities. We worked with seller properties. We, we launched the Shard back in 2012. We launched... Wow. Um, uh, all of the, the the major London developments for land securities. We were still doing quite a bit in travel, automotive. Um, we were working a lot with Bentley Motors and, and and others. And the oil stuff came a bit later. That came sort of post 2015. Interesting enough, post one of the acquisitions. We were doing a, a bit in retail, fashion, um, FMCG. So quite a broad list of sectors. And and again, that was something that we specifically wanted to do because I didn't want to, having seen, you know, one and a half recessions already, and, and obviously what happened to the telecom sector and what happened to the travel sector in the early 2000s, I decided I didn't want to be reliant on any one sector. It was very much about building a sort of broad church, if you like. Right. So yeah, um, that, that that was what led us to the path of acquisition. And the first one that we tried to do was one that would try and even out some of those um, highs and lows. And so we wanted a, a sector that was very, um, had great retention, client retention, you know, a, a retained model. And we also wanted something that was very sticky so that when clients, you know, got you, took you on, there was a, a you, you were you know, relatively sure that you were going to be in there for a, a reasonable period of time. Um, and at the time we had a, um, we had a social media offer. We had a digital offer, all very basic. What we didn't have was anything in SEO and PPC. And we felt that that was quite a nice way to sort of even out those highs and lows, even out those bumps um, retained. It was something of a dark art. So if you got in there, then clients were quite reluctant to, you know, and it was working, obviously. Then mm. clients were were very loyal. And also some of the tools that were, were around at the time gave us more insight and more data into 
the social side. We could see what people were searching. We could, you know, test that on the social campaigns that we were doing. And also it gave us a, a bit of a lever on digital so that when we were, if we were working on digital projects, we were able to build in um, SEO, you know, from the very first, which a lot of agencies our, our size weren't able to do that. A lot of them were just looking at the design rather than the tech, the tech mm. um, and making it work as a marketing tool and marketing channel. Okay. And so that was, that was the first one we did. So how did you approach that then? Did you did did somebody come to you or did you go out and look for it? I mean, what, what's the deal with with bringing in a, an agency? Yeah, so I, I I actually started that on my own, and, and I'll be honest with you, I can't remember how I found the agency that I did. The first one um, that that I found, um, it was through a broker, and we did you know a bit of research on them, and we actually made an offer. And we weren't successful um, in that. We were beaten. Somebody offered more than we were prepared to pay. But during the process of um, not due diligence, but during a sort of research phase when I was looking at that business, I found another one or I found an employee who had been quite senior in that in that business who had left um, and he'd started up on his own. So having lost the original agency that we were going for, and having already reached out to this individual, I started having more conversations with him and, and it came to pass that he was actually interested in being acquired. So we ended up doing a deal with him. They were very small. And as a result, we did um, a trade and asset um, purchase. So we didn't buy the shares in the business. We bought the assets of the business, which mm-hmm. meant that we could conclude the deal very quickly. And it also limited our risk uh, hugely because the shares and any liabilities that are associated with the shares in those business rested with him. So he had to close the business. We just took on the trade and assets and the staff. So if you want to do a quick, cheap deal without the need to invest heavily in, or at the time, invest heavily in in lawyers and accountants, then um, you know that, that, that was a nice way to do it. Which is always a good thing. Yeah. And also the, the fact that you searched off market as well. So you went out to find something that wasn't for sale because the problem is obviously you end up paying too much, which is possibly what happened to the other guy that closed the yeah, deal. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's that's really interesting. Okay, but that, that one worked yeah. out very well for us, and um, you know became phenomenally successful. They were quite sort of they were small. They weren't working with many big brands. What we were able to do was take the services that they have, repackage them, sell them to the brands that we were working at, and obviously. You know, we were able to expedite quite a bit of growth off that. It was a lovely business, all fee, and relatively low overhead. So um, that that was a good a good acquisition. Yeah, brilliant. And then there was an- another one quickly after that. Yeah, so that was uh, I think it was December two thousand and thirteen, and then the next one was March or May two thousand and fourteen, and that was a um, events and exhibition specialist, um, a long established business. They'd been around for thirty five years. Um, the owner wanted to retire and through my network i heard about this and and asked to be introduced to the chat and i was and we got on very very well which i think is really important in any deal that you do that you have to get on with the you know the other party i think he understood my vision he understood what we were trying to do and he wanted to create a bit of a legacy for his business but also he wanted to ensure the sort of safeguarding of his team he didn't want to sell to somebody that was just going to sort of strip it and and try and drive profit from it. He wanted, you know, what we were offering, which was effectively a new home that enabled us to sell additional services off that specialism and, you know, to continue to service his clients who he'd spent a lot of time building relationships with. He wanted to know that they were in safe hands as well. And what kind of deal did you do on that one? Was that the same again or did you acquire the no. company? 
No, we acquired the company on that one. And I, I don't know if you, you want to go into how we fund things or funded things. but I I'm going to ask it. you in a minute. We always, we always ask. Okay, that. well, we'll save that. But yes, yeah, so we acquired the, the, the whole business there. We had the, the brand live on for 12 months um, after the, the deal was done. And then we, although the team sort of integrated, we lived under the same roof. They operated as a separate brand for a short period of time. Um, and then we shut that brand down. Um, and did you uh, did you keep the guy on the founder because he was um, retired? No, we 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 didn't need to. Yeah. We you know as part of the deal, we, we said, look, hang on for three months, and that was really more uh, for him, I think, than us. Um, I know that this sector, that sector, very very well. I was confident that I could pick up, you know, I I, I could pick his clients up and run with them. I didn't see that as a major challenge. So it was it was more about him knowing that his team and that his clients were in safe hands. As we did the acquisition, just as we were about to sign for it, actually, one of their biggest clients announced that they were going to pitch, <laughs> which was, uh, it, it could have, you know, could have scuppered it, but um, I decided to face that head on and, and you know, go in with him and, and take him and sort of sell the vision of, of this bright new future and, and it being a, a very amicable process that we were going through. And, and we won the pitch, which was great. And uh, yeah, so he he stayed on for just three months, and it was really just to you know keep an eye and make sure he was happy and and give his team the the confidence that you know he he wasn't just running off into the sunset um, immediately. And three months later, he he moved on. He bought a lovely place in the south of France. He still lives out there, and and we we remain good friends. I'm very happy to say we've still got all but one of those clients um, still work with us. So. You know, I think that was probably an example of of a deal that had been done very, very well, where the chemistry was right. And I'll, I'll talk a bit more about my philosophy around it, but it comes down to maths, physics, and chemistry for me. And uh, you know, on that one, the chemistry was very, very strong. Brilliant. We've got a little catchphrase to go with your M and A stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so, for for a founder with no M and A experience, then suddenly you're acquiring agencies left, right, and centre, and integrating them. <clears throat> Uh, there must have been a hell of a lot to learn in a very short space of time. I mean, you did two acquisitions within the, the year, pretty much. Yeah, we did. The first one was was small. I mean, the second one wasn't huge. They were probably just a bit smaller than us in terms of revenue. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I learned on the job, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I, I I had the benefit of some senior counsel from um, a, a gentleman that um, we actually sold a small amount of equity to. To, to raise a bit of cash to help us um, finance some of this. But actually, it, for me, it was it was more to have him on board to advise me as I went. And, and he was pivotal in that. He gave me a huge amount of advice. Um, and I learned a lot in a very quick space of time. Yeah. and But I enjoyed it, Andy. You know, in, in a way, it was just a, an extension of that biz dev thing in me. You know, you're developing the business, but in a broader sense. And, and you're still, you know looking for the opportunity, you're trying to convert the opopportunity, you're trying to get it over the line. I think with m and though, you've then got, well, actually, you've now got to make it work. So it gave an added dimension. It sort of um, prolonged the goal. It prolonged the, um, the the target. So I think that's why I like it. Yeah, so it's your personality type. Right, so I, so I guess there's a lot more M&A in, in Anton Georges. I, I would say we've probably got a lot more deals to do between us. But, <laughs> but just let's just stop where we are at the moment because against the backdrop of all of these acquisitions, there was a major fraud in the business, which nearly, it sounds like it nearly destroyed the business to some degree. Certainly it must have destroyed trust between yeah. the business. Can you tell us a, a little bit about that? Yeah. 
I, I think probably one of the things that I've learned is that as a business grows like that, and as you do integrate other businesses in, you need to be upgrading the governance in a lot of areas. And and um, I learned a very valuable and a very expensive lesson. We brought in a, a new person to head up the accounts. Um, that individual came in on a, um, a contract basis, first of all, and did very well. I like them. They like me. We got on. Everything was going well. The business was growing. Um, and, and you know, the management information that was coming across all seemed to be as I wanted it to be. Unfortunately, I got it wrong. And, and he'd been on contract for three months. And we then gave him a permanent position. Um, and with that, I think I trusted him a little bit too much. Um, and unfortunately, that trust was unfounded. And, and um, some months later, I can't remember how many, but um, I was phoned by the office manager to say that that individual had left the office the day before um, with a first class ticket to Australia and saying that he wasn't coming back. And she thought he was joking, but he hadn't turned up for work. So the alarm bell started to ring. I was on my way to a meeting, got back from the meeting. And when I got back, I checked the bank balance. And um, yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't what it should have been. And that was, it, it was gut wrenching. I mean, I, I, that hurt me hugely personally. It destroyed a large part of my confidence um, because I felt wholly responsible for it. I'd, I'd employed him, I'd trusted him, and he had destroyed that trust and, and gone off to the other side of the world with a large pot of money. One of the difficulties was, though, because the, the web of deceit that he created behind him to cover his tracks meant that we were never quite able to find out or to trace where the money went. What we were left with was a significant hole in the balance sheet part of which we could trace directly to him and the rest i had no idea whether he'd just been telling lies for the entire time and, and fabricating the information that he was giving or the money had actually gone missing but suffice to say we weren't in the position that we thought we were in and unfortunately we had just taken on a 400 uh, 4500 square foot of prime um, real estate in uh, in bermondsey yeah. Um, and uh, we just spent about £220,000 um, fitting it out. So, And all this had been done based on the MI that I had. So, yeah, it it, it was what I referred to at the time with the team. It was something of a, a speed bump. I was <laughs> determined that it wouldn't stop us getting where we wanted to go, but it would slow us down. Very philosophical. Yeah, it, it you know, it was painful. I'm not going to lie. It was a very painful experience. And I got to the point, and, and you and I have talked about this before, but where I was getting so obsessed with trying to find out the extent of it and trying to get justice, if you like, mm. that I had to give myself a good talking to and just say, look, you know, this isn't actually going to help. This isn't going to make it any better. This isn't going to get you to where you need to be. You've just got to park it, accept it, park it and and move on. And, and so that's what we ended up doing. The gentleman involved was brought to justice and the police did catch up with him and he did get sentenced, which, you know, was was good. But sadly, we didn't get anywhere near um, the money that wasn't in that we expected to be there, we didn't get it back. And um, so, yeah, it was it was a blow. That's uh, I mean, it's a, it's a great story to to hear, but must have been traumatizing to go through. So, I mean, just on on the topic of funding deals, which you mentioned before, and quickly moving away from this idiot that could have uh, stopped all deal making. How did you fund those those first few deals, and what kind of advice can you give to people that are just embarking on? M&A for the first time. Sure. So, so um, as I said, the first one was relatively small. They were a small business. And so we did that as a trade and asset purchase. So um, it was relatively simple and, and relatively, well, very cost effective. Um, and we funded that.
that through cash and through cash flow. So that was cash that we had in the business and it was just a straight transaction. I think there was a six month earn out of sorts, um, you know, that gave us the time to ensure that the contracts that we thought were in place were in place. But the owner um, did that. And after six months, he moved on. And we literally then just took it off, took it over and, and, and grew it um, from there. So that was very, very simple. The, the second one we did... Um, so the, the business that we acquired had quite a ca- lot of cash in it. Mm. And so what we did was we borrowed money from the bank um, and we did it part through something called an EFG, uh, sorry, an EGF, which is an enterprise guarantee fund, um, which was um, a product that a lot of the banks, there was a government backed product that a lot of the banks um, had on offer at the time. And it meant that they would lend money um because more easily because they were protected by the government so 80 percent of it was protected by the government as a five-year loan so it was it was sort of we, we, we borrowed the money and then we bought the business and then the cash that was in the business we used that to pay off um, a large proportion of that loan and then the rest we we paid off through cash flow over the next five years um, how did you structure that deal then because usually when you acquire a business you usually do uh, like a cash and debt free deal which means yeah. they can take out any cash that's sat on the balance sheet yeah he um, left it in. yes he did um and i think you know this is one of uh, probably the learnings for me is very early on and this comes into the chemistry part the mass um, physics and chemistry you know i think it's really really important to identify early on well to, to get on with them and you know understand fully their motivations for wanting to exit the business and then try and structure a deal that can work for you and work for them and we had some very honest conversations over what that individual wanted to get out of the business Mm. and financially and what was very important to him was the the future of the business it you know he had a number he wanted to get to and we were able to structure the number um around um that kind of deal so you know in terms of and uh, there, there was a third deal which came in in yeah, 2016 together, yeah yeah but i think it's really really important to talk early on about the numbers and mm. you can waste a huge amount of time dancing around your handbags and you know then find that actually there's a massive disparity between what you think the business is worth and what somebody who's exiting the business can and um, thinks it's worth i think it's really really important to have that conversation early on Mm-hmm. And then, you know, mm-hmm. look beyond the numbers and understand, well, why does that want to, that individual, why do they want to exit? And there's there's a whole, you know, whole panacea of, of reasons. It could be they want to retire. It could be they want, you know, more expertise on the board. It could be that they want cash to, to be able to grow the business. It could be that they, you know, they need other business opportunities to open up for them. They can only do that as part of a larger entity. There's a whole plethora of reasons. And obviously post-COVID, there's also a lot of agencies that have struggled um, and they're now struggling to cash as, uh, to to you know manage the business their their businesses. A lot of them took on C bills loans and you know maybe haven't bounced back quite as much as they'd, as, as well as they'd like. And so therefore, there's you know the cash is is, is tight. Mm-hmm. Doing an acquisition with a business like that, or um, you know for a business like that to to do a business with a larger more um, cash generative entity means that they can you know they can sort of grow off the back of it and maybe achieve what they want to achieve in three years rather than 10 years. So there, there could be lots of reasons why people want to do that. So digging in, digging into the reasons. So uh, physics then? So chemistry, chem- uh, I get, maths, I guess you're, you're making uh, an offer or you're talking about numbers really soon at the start of the conversation to make sure yeah. you're on the same page. And physics? Yeah, I think um, physics is really, really important. And that's about the, the physical aspects of a deal or the logistics of it. How is it going to work? 
you know, where are you located? Where will you be located? What back office things will you try and integrate? Will you be integrating? Will they exist as their own brand? So some, you know, a lot of the the, the more physical aspects that you need to understand. And, and I think that, that that phase is really important because that's where you do your planning. All the ones I've done, I've had a 30, 60, 90 day plan before the deal is done so that on day one, you know exactly where you're going, you know exactly what you're doing because you've worked it all out before. There's absolutely nothing to be gained from waiting until the deal's done and then going, oh shit, I don't know, how are we going to do that? So so that's the physics, that's the, the, the logistics around structuring a deal and what comes next. And uh, I also think it's important if you can to physically get in with that other business, to get to know the team, to collaborate with them early on. If you can, if you can do that, and if you can, you know, maybe pitch together, maybe win together, then all of a sudden, you know, the team get to see that this does make sense. Mm. It helps all the wheels. Okay, so you need to be quite well organised and get those plans in place before you you push the button. Okay, Absolutely. so just on, on that final deal that you you did or deal number three should i say mm. uh, what what was the differences with that one and the other two that you'd done um well the other two had been cash in in some way shape or form the third one we'd actually been negotiating prior to finding out about the fraud um and so we were pretty committed to the deal and then we found that the we we had this um this big hole and so we didn't necessarily have the cash that we thought we had to be able to complete the deal um in many respects, I felt committed to the people that we had made the offer to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I I still thought it was a good strategic decision for us. It was a good deal for us to do. And so we we decided that we would continue with it, but that we would do it part cash, part shares. So um, we swapped some of the equity in our business for a large chunk of equity in their business. And then we, um, we, we gave a small amount of cash um, by way of investment as well. Okay, cool. So that's the the three deals, and then you get approached by somebody to buy you. So it's the the yin, the yin and the yang of of M and A is um, well, or the hunter hunted even. But, yeah. but there you are uh, gobbling up loads of smaller agencies, and then along comes a whale and starts negotiating to to buy We Are Collider. Yeah. Uh, so what was it like being on the receiving end of that after <laughs> after um, you know doing three? Great. <laughs> it, 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 it was really good. I mean, obviously, I, I, I knew how it worked, so none of it came as a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. They were a much bigger entity, and so I guess they and and they'd done a lot of these deals, so they had a different process for it. And for want of a better word, I'd say probably a much more professional process. <laughs> um, but you know, because I'd, I'd been there, I'd done it, I knew some of the pitfalls, I knew some of the things to look out for. Um, I was relatively comfortable in that space. I obviously had legal advice, but uh, yeah, it was, it, it was good, and I liked the people. I, I liked them a lot, um, and for me it represented an opportunity for the business but also for for me i i like the idea of you know being involved in in perhaps a larger entity and being able to sort of uh, again um turbocharge what we could do as a business um off the back of of something that was much larger but sadly it wasn't to be and uh yeah covid came along and pulled the plug on that one <laughs> Yeah, so it must have been um, really frustrating after uh, everything that you've built. And I mean, obviously, we all went through at the same time 
with COVID. But uh, in fact, I had several deals on as well that were pulled by bigger bigger businesses that that no longer wanted to take the risk during the yeah. whole COVID thing. Yeah, it was it was an awful time for M and A. Um, although it did pick up again quite quickly afterwards. But after that deal was pulled, then you hit the the um, some more problems, I guess, the so COVID related problems with. We are Clyde. Obviously, you're in the events industry and you're doing lots of experiential stuff. And suddenly all of that stops. And you know, the events industry went off a cliff, didn't it? So it did. Um, so you experienced your own, I guess, cash flow troubles around that point. Um, and then some some issues with your landlord. And I think this again was a common experience. Mm. There was a lot of agencies with big, nice offices. I'm not mm. saying yours was big and nice. It was, it was you 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 can you know what it was like <laughs> it was lovely yeah you had a great office um and obviously we're we're looking to to cut costs but there was no negotiation to be had so so what happened yeah um the the, the deal got pulled very early you know as, as as covid sort of came on the horizon and with hindsight we see now that that was absolutely the right thing for, for them to do um at the time obviously we only know all of this with hindsight. And at the time when you were living it day by day, you you always thought it was going to be, there was a finite time to how long it would go on. And we never thought right at the beginning that it'd be quite that bad. I remember, you know, talking to our bank. I remember talking to various people who were meant to know what they were talking about. And they were saying, well, government advice is it's going to be three or six months. It'll be fine. Don't worry. And so you kind of plan for that. But then it goes on, it's four months, five months, seven months, eight months, 10 months, 12 months, and still the industry hasn't opened up. You know, our industry was the only one that was not allowed to operate at all throughout mm. the whole period. You know, pubs were, restaurants were, they were given support, but our industry was was not at all. It was completely annihilated. And by way of example, our revenues dropped by 86% literally overnight. The tap was turned off. But what was difficult, Andy, was, Nobody knew that it, that tap was going to be turned off for that long. We all thought it would be three months. Oh, it's fine. We can, you know, we can manage three months. Yeah, we can do six months, nine months. Mm, this is getting interesting. <laughs> and yeah, it, it it was tough. And as 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 you know, we got to a point where we still had cash in the bank. We still had debtors. We pivoted like a lot of businesses did to a, something of a digital offer. And so we had some revenue coming in. But because we'd been doing it on the promise that more work was coming, because live was going to come back we probably kept on a bigger workforce than we should have done but yeah as i say that's that's hindsight that tells you that but we got to a point towards the end of 2020 where i i felt that i just didn't know how much longer we were going to be able to survive and and i wanted to to do the right thing and so decided to to close the business whilst we still had money in the bank whilst we were still able to to cover you know the, our, our, our creditors we tried desperately to negotiate with the landlords um you know our rent was over a quarter of a million pound a year for something that you couldn't be in and the offers we put to them i thought were very fair but they refused to negotiate at all they said that they would help us sublet it and i was like really <laughs> um who's gonna you know, sublet this we nobody's allowed out nobody's going to take on this office so they decided not to and and so i spoke to a number of different um advisors and and the advice that i was given was that the only way that i could make this work was to financially restructure in a legally compliant way then i felt it was very important that we do try and bounce back um and you know start contributing to the coffers again start employing people again and and i'm delighted to say that's what we've been able to do so now we're back to our pre-pandemic levels and you know have a have a great business doing some fantastic work again 
Yeah, you've done extremely well in a short space of time. So you're back up and running, and I mean, you can you can you can't tell the difference from the outside with with Collider. So hats off to you that you were able to restructure the business and and keep people employed and you know engaged with with the business. So now you're on the other side of that. And what's going on with Collider now? We are Collider. Are you still looking to acquire or be acquired? So- What's, what's the game plan going forward? We've um, we, we, we've done exceptionally well. As I say, we're we're up beyond our pre-pandemic levels, but with a much sort of streamlined cost base. So that means that you know we've been able to. Um, we're, we're we're now in a very very secure position, which I'm I'm really pleased about. I'm not actively looking to acquire, but I'm interested in talking to businesses. And and I guess there's two types. There's some that might be a really good strategic fit for us. And, and, you know, that may be somebody who's, who's looking to, to to be acquired lock, stock and barrel. But similarly, I'm interested in other agencies where perhaps they're looking for somebody to come in as an equity partner to, to put a bit of cash in to buy a smaller stake and maybe help them grow with a view to, you know, a, a, a roll up further down the line. And I, I've, you know, I, I, I've been through a lot. I've done a lot. And I think I've got a lot of experience and and I can now go into a business and I can see a business where, you know, it's been well run, poorly run or somewhere in between and say, well, okay, look, if we just tweak this, tweak that, then it will have this kind of effect on your business. And and that's why I'm kind of interested in these partway houses where, Mm. you know, the the existing shareholders can either get equity into the business or get something off the table. But we then go on a path to try and grow that together. And then, you know, us looking to be acquired, not really. No, we're, we're we're doing pretty well. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'll always talk to someone. You never know what's around the corner, do you? <laughs> Open but to conversations, but you're not, you're not actively looking. It sounds like no. you, you're back on track with the businesses where you want it to be, probably stronger and better, and you with so much experience as well of facing the tough times. Hopefully, when all of this is finished, you'll have an easy you'll have an easy run, but uh, maybe not not just yet with. Uh, I don't want to give up yet. Being a mess. <laughs> I, 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 I love it. I, you know, love the team we've got. I love the work that we do. I love the industry. Yep. Um, it's exciting. It's fun. It, it gives you, it still gives me that kick. So I'm not going anywhere yet. Uh, and we did mention before because I, I know that you're doing some uh, game, gaming launches and things like that. What, what is the stuff that that we at Clyder are, are now setting their sort of store <laughs> to be the best in the world at? That's a probably another podcast in itself, Andy. I've spent so many times creating five-year plans, and it was only through this process that I realized that the mistake we all make is trying to put numbers around it. And so my plan now is not focused on numbers. It's and hopefully I can say it for Barton, but it's um we want to achieve and maintain top-tier agency status by recruiting and retaining the best talent to serve brave, exciting clients who value brilliant work. And I think if we can do all of that, we will do fantastically well as a business. And so we've kind of created a strategy around achieving that. We're looking at different sectors. Through the pandemic, actually, we started to look at gaming more. We we were already um, working in gaming, but we really decided to dial it up on that. And we've got a lot of gaming experience now. We're running a lot of esports tournaments for Red Bull. We've just done one in Germany. We've got another one um, next month. We did a global launch for um, Riot Games last last year, back end of 2021, across six countries. We've won four awards for that, and I'm at an awards dinner tonight wow. where we're up for another five. So fingers crossed, we'll uh, we'll, we'll bag a few more on that one. Yeah. Um, but so we're doing some really interesting and exciting work in the space. I think it's a really interesting space and 
our proposition now is is all based around behavioral science and the science of people engaging with experiences and i think a lot of these digital brands digital only brands they're turning to experiences to really create that connection with their communities and i think that's why we've been successful in the gaming space so we've been working with some brilliant titles some brilliant publishers with some um, brilliant games and and yeah hope to see that only only continue yeah, experiences are, are back, so that's uh, fantastic news for for the whole industry, but certainly for marketing and comms as well to have the live aspect back. Because I mean, here we are doing a podcast, but I think we're all getting a bit sick of virtual everything. So it's it's good to to know that that's on its way back. Yeah, we've we've done a lot of research on it. Actually, we've been working with a couple of behavioural scientists and um, looking at you know through lockdown, post lockdown. The, the science of, of experience and what makes those sort of meaningful connections. And I think you're right. A lot of brands now are seeing it as a pivotal part, a, a very important part of the marketing mix. Whereas for too long, it was kind of, you know, sort of the, the bit that nobody really wants to do. The point now is doing it right. Um, you know, it's not a cookie cutter exercise. You can't just, oh, well, let's do one. It won't work. And they are expensive and, and, you know, you need to get it right. And so that's why we've been concentrating very heavily on on sort of the science behind that and trying to build some IP and some frameworks around doing it. Amazing. Well, thank you for your time today, Anton. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been really insightful. Can you tell everybody that's listening to the show how they can stay in touch with you, where they can follow you, um, and where they can see where you're up to stuff online? Absolutely. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. Uh, email address, anton.jerges, that's J-E-R-G-E-S, at wearecollider.com. Drop me an email, check out the website. If you want to have a chat, I'd love to. And you know, thank you to you, Andy. It's been it's been great to see you and chat. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Okay, we'll speak to everybody soon. All right, cheers. Bye. Bye.